This is the SFF Audio Podcast. I'm Scott. And this is Jesse. Hello, Jesse. Hey, Scott. Happy uh, seventh anniversary, uh, Palooza. Yeah, seventh birthday for the website. <laughs> Started yes. March 2003. That's right. That's right. It's very impressive now. <laughs> it's huge. It has its own weather system. Yeah. I spent last weekend in San Francisco, so I thought about So I Married an Axe Murderer quite a bit. That's we were a great right th- movie. We were right there at Alcatraz, but I didn't get to actually go to Alcatraz, which was very disappointing. Because uh, they were sold out. You and couldn't... I, I didn't know oh. that they sold out. So we showed up there at about uh, 1.30, and it was too late to get out there. So. I thought, you know, you, you were having trouble committing a felony. <laughs> well, that was plan B, but um, I couldn't get arrested for some reason. You can't so, get arrested so, in that town. So surely they would send me directly to Alcatraz, being the uh, criminal mastermind that I am. Clearly. Yep. But anyway, it was neat. San Francisco was very cool. My brother got married, so congratulations to him, my brother Bill, and his new wife Karen. So, good weekend last weekend. Nice. Yep. So, I got some uh, recent arrivals here. What did you get? A couple from Brilliance Audio, a couple in the military uh, science fiction category. Mm -hmm. Um, Book two of The Lost Fleet, it's called Fearless. Jack Campbell. Jack Campbell, you got it. Um, let's see. Uh, Geary is convinced that the syndics are planning to ambush the fleet and finish it off once and for all. Realizing the fleet's best and only chance to do the is to do the unexpected, Geary takes the offensive and orders the fleet to the Sankir system. There, a multitude of possible routes home give the Alliance fleet a better chance of avoiding their pursuers and an attack on the Sankir shipbuilding facilities could decimate the Syndic war effort. Space opera. Yes, space opera and lots of shooting. Very cool. Yeah, I, I've, I've heard a few people talk about this series, and it sounds actually pretty good. Mm-hmm. Um, I, think it, I think it actually sort of follows the same uh, formula as that uh, Gene Roddenberry-inspired show, Andromeda. Have you seen that show? Uh, no, I haven't. Um, uh, it's got Kevin Sorbo, you know, the guy from oh, Hercules. Yeah. You know, I may have seen one episode. I remember a computer in there that was like a hologram. Yeah, well, was yeah like they a have Voyager a hologram. Too. Voyager yeah. had that too. But. Yeah, it's sort of recycling stuff. But, yeah. I mean, it's really a sort of a Star Trekky show. But yeah. uh, one of the things that was interesting there is, uh, yeah, he's been like frozen in time, uh, a la Buck Rogers. Um, uh, and he comes from the past with uh, the technology and the technique, or the the know-how to run these ancient warships. And uh, one of them is called the Andromeda. That's uh. the one he's. I think I, I think he's actually not frozen like uh, literally. I think he was stuck on the edge of an event horizon near a black hole or something like that. Uh, so uh, I, I'm probably you know comparing these two falsely, but. From what I've heard about the Lost Fleet series, it's it's kind of like that. Oh. Uh, our hero is sort of a unique individual in that he has information uh, or techniques or whatever to to reinvigorate a, a lost empire. Gotcha. It sounds actually pretty good. Yeah, it does. It does. Okay, and uh, the other one I have here from Brilliance is from John Ringo. 
Um, book one of Troy Rising. It's called Live Free or Die. Um, the first contact was friendly. When aliens trundled a gate to other worlds in the solar system, the world reacted with awe, hope, and fear. The first aliens to come through, the Glatton, were peaceful traders, and the world breathed a sigh of relief. When the Horvath came through, they announced their ownership by dropping rocks on three cities and gutting them. Since then, they've held Terra as their own personal fiefdom. With their control of the orbitals, there's no way to win, and Earth's governments have accepted the status quo. To free the world from the grip of the Horvath is going to take an unlikely hero, a hero unwilling to back down to alien or human governments, unwilling to live in slavery, and with enough, with enough hubris, if not stature, to think he can win. And that's that. Uh, that's the, it's the first of a series, it looks like. Yeah, it says Troy Rising must be the name of the series. Yeah. Um, read by it's a brand new. named Mark Boyette. I heard um, his name around. Um, yeah, it looks like a brand new series, like 2010, just came out. So this is uh, released at the same time as the, uh, the paper book. Good. Ringo's yeah. got a ton of stuff, actually, on audio now all of oh, a sudden. Oh, he does, yeah. All, um, I think it started pretty much at Audible and then um, published in hard copy with Brilliance. I think there might have been some from Paperback Digital. Remember that? Yes, I do remember that. Callie's War, I think you reviewed Callie's that. Callie's War, I reviewed it, yeah. So uh, he's he's, uh, That's right. he's super popular in some subset of science fiction that I am not currently reading a lot of. Mm-hmm. I think I've read one of his books, uh, but it was in the middle of a series, so it was a little unclear as to you know what the backstory was. Right, but uh, it's it's probably worth getting into, especially in a new series. I, I'm I'm so reluctant to start on a series that you know is. Uh, okay, yes, yeah, there's another Poslin War, uh, A Hymn Before Battle, that's the first in the series. Yeah. Watch, watch on the Rhine. Paul Campbell uh, reviewed A Hymn Before Battle for us. Oh, okay. Yeah, it sounded familiar. Mm-hmm. And it looks like a lot of these, this is really interesting. Uh, a lot of his stuff is available through the Bain Library, I think, so it's like free editions are online. You can mm-hmm. get it. But, but his books are still selling, right? The paper books are still selling. And... The audiobooks are still selling. So the idea that, you know, giving your stuff away for free means you're going to, you know, give away the the farm is obviously not true in the case of John Ringo. Mm-hmm. Yep. Oh, yeah. actually, it looks like only sample chapters of Troy Rising are out, but uh, I'm just looking at the Wikipedia entry. There's direct links to most of the, most of the free online editions of his books. Hmm. Cool. Anything else in the uh, yes? I've got box? I've got three more. Uh, these these came in from Blackstone. Okay. Um, number one is uh, Times Eye, a Time Odyssey, Book One, by Arthur C. Clarke and Stephen Baxter. For, is this a post uh, post Arthur C. Clarke death book or? Um, you know, I don't know the answer to that. Um, What's the copyright on it? Uh, 2004. The the audiobook is 2009, but the um, original. The, uh, yeah, the original is 2004. So, and uh, Arthur C. Clarke died in 2008. So these these must have come out right before that. So um, for eons, Earth has been under observation by the firstborn beings, almost as old as the universe itself. The firstborn are unknown to humankind until they act. In an instant. 
Earth's timeline is carved up and reassembled into a patchwork of different eras from prehistory to the year 2037, each with its own indigenous inhabitants. The only clue to the origin of this astonishing transformation lies in the ancient city of Babylon, where two groups of refugees from 2037, three cosmonauts and three UN peacekeepers, have detected strange radio signals. As the peacekeepers ally with 19th century British troops and the armies of Alexander the Great, the cosmonauts join forces with the Mongol horde led by Genghis Khan. Both sides set out for Babylon, determined to win the race for knowledge and the power that lies within. Well, that sounds way cool. <laughs> uh, what, what's the name of it again? It's called Time's Eye. Okay. Um, it's book one of A Time Odyssey by Arthur C. Clarke and Stephen Baxter. It's read by John Lee, too, who's fantastic. So He's a uh, ubiquitous narrator. He's, uh, he's recording yeah. everything. Um, looking at the Wikipedia entry for this series, A Time Odyssey, uh, it says that it's based on the previous Space Odyssey series by Clarke, obviously, you know, 2001. Mm-hmm. Um, and in the introduction, uh, Clark describes the premise as, quote, nor a sequel to Space Odyssey, but an orthquel, <laughs> a neologism coined by Clark for, the per- for this purpose, combining the word sequel with ortho, the Greek prefix meaning straight or perpendicular, and alluding to the fact that this is, that time is orthogonal to space in relative relativity theory. Wow. Okay. Wow. That's... Uh, space Odyssey. Uh, in a space odyssey, a race of benevolent, godlike aliens with highly advanced technology decides to use machines called monoliths to travel across space with the intention to ensure that the survival chances of intelligent life, including Earth, and test and weed out species that have no possibility for intelligence. Um, so that's what was going on in 2001. Space. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Uh, but, uh, you know, it, it also sounds to me a lot like um, uh, Childhood's End. Yeah, so, yeah, well, Clark does that a lot, you know, with the with the um, godlike aliens. Yeah, but benevolent godlike aliens, right? right? Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Who come to Earth and... I guess godlike mistakes. aliens that are not benevolent, that would be H.P. Lovecraft. <laughs> Indeed. Yeah. Right. I think even calling them aliens is probably wrong, though, because probably so. Uh, they're, they're, you know, they inhabited the Earth first. Right, right. <laughs> we're the we're the aliens crawling on the backs of the mm-hmm. beasts. Hey, that reminds me. You know, while we're talking about time, and that's an interesting viewpoint. There, the uh, I just uh, listened to a Raymond Z. Galoon story mm-hmm. called "The Eternal Wall" uh, from LibriVox. Mm-hmm. Um, read by Greg Marguerite, who we've had on this show before. Nice. Um, but anyway, the the eternal wall of the title is um, time. You know, oh. so in in this story, um, the theory is that you cannot possibly go backwards. You can go forwards. Yep, yep. We're doing that all the time, but there's a wall there that is erected every second. Hmm. Yeah. yeah. I think that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Um, how uh, you're going to do a review for us? Yeah, right? yeah. Do you want me to tell you about it? It's no, a, I want okay. you to write it. All right, I already did. Already did. Uh, it's, going up, it's going up tomorrow. Oh, cool. Yeah. Um, so this is uh, twenty reviews. Is that right? Um, well, it's like twenty three. Um, twenty three every, every weekday through March. Yeah, we're putting up a, a review of a short story. Um, so I'm listening to one every day and uh, keeping ahead of it. So. 
I've liked what you've done so far. I Great. especially like the 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 links to other other things, you know, that are it, I think science fiction is a conversation between stories, right? Mm-hmm. Ideas. And I think I like that when you're linking to other stuff saying, you know, this is uh comparable with this and uh makes it makes it say, "Oh yeah, I've read that, so I should read this." Mm-hmm. Sort of thing. Yeah. Yeah, it's fun. It's uh, been enjoyable so far. One weekend. Cool. But yeah, and one of the other ones I'm going to do is this next one in my hand. Um, Which is also came in from Blackstone. Identity theft by Robert J. Sawyer. It's okay. A, um, it's two and a half hours long, so it's a. Uh, I don't. You think it's a novella? How long in hours mm, does it have to be to be a novella? Longer than a novella. <laughs> no, it's a novelette. Okay. I think novella is longer than a novella. Oh, it says right here it's a novella. <laughs> After I ask you the question, it says here. It says, Identity Theft is a hard-boiled detective novella set on Mars. Cassandra and Joshua Wilkins are fossil hunters who have both recently transferred their minds into artificial bodies. But now Joshua has mysteriously disappeared. Cassandra must hire Alex Lomax, the only private detective on the Red Planet, to locate Joshua before sinister voices get to him. And it's read by Anthony Held. Uh, H-E-A-L-D Yeah, he used to do the Star Wars books um, A few narrators back um, But he's very, very good. good Very, very good I, Was this available on Audible previously? Um, I think concurrently um, Okay Yeah, when I originally saw that um, On Blackstone's site When I was kind of looking to see what was coming out It said Identity Theft and Other Stories Which made me think that you know they were going to publish an anthology Yeah uh, collection, but this is what came out. Not it anthology, collection. Collection. Anthology right. is when it's other many, many different people together. You bet. You bet. Um, so the anyway, they just came out with this one novella instead of a collection. So I'm cool with that. I think yeah, yeah. You know, short, short ones are are cool separately, and right. I'm all in favor of it. Okay, and lastly from Blackstone, I have um, Treason by Orson Scott Card. This is one of his early books, read by Stefan Rudnicki. Mm-hmm. Um, Lennox Muller's birthright as heir to the planet Treason's most powerful rulership will never be realized. He is a rad, a radical regenerative, a freak who can regenerate injured flesh and trade extra body parts to the off-world oppressors for iron. On a planet without hard metals or the means of escape, iron offers the promise of freedom through the chance to build a spacecraft. But it is a promise which may never be fulfilled, as Lanik uncovers a treacherous conspiracy beyond his imagination. Now charged with a mission of conquest and exile, Lanik devises a bold and dangerous plan to break the vicious chain of rivalry and bloodshed that enslaves the people of treason. Hmm. Yeah, and I've read this novel um, way back. It was originally published as a planet called Treason. Uh-huh. But then, um, Card, when he... Uh, after he got um, very popular, he mm-hmm. rewrote it and republished it as Treason because he wasn't satisfied with it for some reason. Um, I for, some, read, for some treason. For some treason, <laughs> yeah. And, uh, but, yeah, so it, Treason replaces a planet called Treason. I like, I like the name a planet called Treason better than mm-hmm. Treason. Treason is, is, is more like, you know, anonymous book on the paperback rack. Yeah, versus, yeah. Uh, you, know, it, you know, with some U.S. government logo, you know, and and blood seeping under. It's, you know, a sort of boring title. But a planet called Treason sounds good. Hmm. 
but it's if it's essentially the same book and it's better, then I'm fine with that. Just we should call it a planet called Trees. <laughs> All right. It looks so, like uh, it looks like it's getting pretty good reviews. Treason. Hmm. Yeah, yeah. It was it was um, republished back in. I mean, it was a long time ago. Nineteen eighty-eight. Stefan Rudnicki. Nineteen eighty-eight. Yeah. Did you mention that? Yeah, yeah. Read oh, by okay. Stefan Rudnicki. Yep. Went in one ear and out the other for hmm. me. Yeah, he narrated Ender's Game, and uh, this one. Great narrator. Yeah, he is. Yep. Cool. Well, that's what I've so, got here. That's all you got uh, in physical hard copy. You got to send me something some sometimes. Oh soon. yeah, I do. I'm I'm uh, I still got tons to listen to, but I I do like having some variety. And and uh, my mother is uh, reviewing a uh, a uh, Spider Robinson audiobook that I oh, gave her fantastic. a long time ago mm-hmm. that she's just finally gotten to. And oh, good. Uh, hopefully she's going to have that done soon. And then. We'll give her something else to. Yeah, one of the stories I did last week um, was "Melancholy Elephants" by S- Spider Robinson, and read, I think read by him. Best stories ever. Yeah, it was a good story. It, it went a direction that I did not expect. You know. Um, yeah, it does. It, it was it, really it, interesting in all the current good. climate that it started to talk about copyright and how this lady was going to visit a senator in order to discuss this copyright legislation. I was thinking, oh, how interesting that this was written back in. What was it, eighty eighty four or something like that? Yeah, very early. And uh, then it took a totally unexpected direction, and then the whole thing was about art and um, yeah, the, yeah. You, you called it the philosophy of art. Yeah, um, that's a very good way to put it. It is. It's really an interesting. Uh, I'm I'm not sure that it's true, mm-hmm. but it's certainly a compelling thesis, right? Yeah, it is. And you almost and- wanna you almost wanna go out and test it. You know, you get. Yeah. Different cultures, and you say, "Okay, here's here. You do this in your laws for a thousand years, and compare <laughs> <See what laughs> to another there. one, and see, see, you know, if there's stagnancy." Yeah, <laughs> but his his idea that you know, you know, that ideas are, are finite. Um, you know, the possibility of that. I mean, that is kind of what we're seeing in science fiction right now. I mean, I, we're, we're waiting for the next big thing to happen. You know, in science fiction, I think you know. You could argue that the most interesting stuff being published right now is in fantasy, um, just because you know that seems to be um, where the new ideas are happening, right? Well, I, I, it's interesting. So uh, one of the examples I, I would use uh, to, you know, what what his thesis, I guess, is basically is is that um, that if you give eternal copyright to ideas, uh, you know, story ideas, um, germs of, of intellectual property, if you give them eternal property, copyright, then uh, you are guaranteed to get stagnancy in your culture mm-hmm. because um, there are only a finite number of variations on any ideas. And, you know, uh, there's the idea that there's only six plots for movies, right? Mm-hmm. I heard a uh, an interview not that long ago saying there was actually only two. There's only two. There's there's the story of um, you know the guys sitting around the inside the cave talking about all the scary things that are outside the cave, right? Uh-huh. Yeah. That's the horror stories. And then there's the guys, uh, the stories about the guys who go out of the cave and have a great adventure, saying you know it's not that dangerous out there. And there's only two kinds of stories, and I think that that those are both. You know, one's I guess the horror story, and the other's the adventure story. Um, I like I like that idea, but um, if you if you start breaking it down, like you know Joseph Campbell style, 
um, there aren't that many themes that recur. So if you say, you know, I've got a patent on this uh, line of endeavor, you know, you can't tell this kind of story, um, then you limit the ability for people to tell new stories. Mm -hmm. And they end up talking about very uninteresting um, little bits. There's a documentary uh, about uh, music in copyright, how uh, if you if you're going to be a remixer, you know, mm-hmm. you you have to be very careful not to um, use more than a, a half second of a clip before you get sued, right? Because Interesting. did you did you happen to see? I'm sorry to interrupt here, but did you happen mm-hmm. to see a news story? Um, I saw it this week of a very popular, very young novelist in Ireland, I think it was. Gosh, I could have the country totally wrong, but she was being accused of some plagiarism Mm -hmm. and she was like, no, I'm I'm mixing, doing the same thing that they do with music, but in a book. Right. No, I hadn't hadn't heard that story. Yeah. Yeah, I need to look into that more, but um, anyway, you just reminded, sorry to interrupt there, but... No. um, But Um, I, I think it was Ireland, but I'm not positive. Well, I, I think, I mean, here's here's my great example. You know, you want to talk about a really good book, right? A really good book that everyone agrees is really good that came out recently. That mm. uh, would not be possible if you had uh, a lockdown on ideas and uh, motifs and uh, patterns of, of storytelling. Uh, take the Graveyard Book. Mm-hmm. The Graveyard Book is a, re, a reworking of the Jungle Book. Right, yep. it's about a little boy who is raised by uh, people who are not his parents. <laughs> <laughs> right. Um, Instead of animals, it's ghosts. Right. It's ghosts. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, the uh, you know he goes on adventures and all that stuff. I, I mean, really, he's just taking the title. And I mean, if you look at it very closely, they're not that similar of a book. Mm-hmm. But he's he's consciously done this. He says this is a great story. What can I do with it? Yeah, he hasn't said, "Oh, that's a great story." I guess I can't do anything with it, right? Yeah, and Harry Potter would have been impossible. Uh, Harry Potter is definitely unique, but mm-hmm. it is a variation on many old themes, right? Mm-hmm. It's not. It's not bringing anything particularly original to the table uh, of fantasy. What it's done is just package it in a certain way that's made it, you know, a new spin on old stuff. I mean, I've heard I've heard lots of people talk about how you know the dark is rising is the same story, or um, uh, even a Wizard of Earthsea that series, right? Mm-hmm. Is is basically the same story as Harry Potter? It's about you know, but, but way better wizards. told, <laughs> right? But but, the, but that's not the point, right? Those the point books. is, see, now I is, want to read those again because I love those books. Harry Potter or the Wizard of Earthsea? The Wizard of Earthsea. Okay. <laughs> yeah, I like Harry Potter too. You know, Harry Potter was a, uh, I liked it, but it's a, it's a whole different kind of like than than uh, Wizard of Earthsea. Right. But yeah, I, I I think you know, Melancholy Elephants is an excellent story. And you know what's funny about it is also that he Spider Robinson, even though it feels like a very unique story, it's really just a. I think it's just a rip off of uh, Heinlein because he's got basically a Heinlein like. Uh, protagonist you know that senator right yeah. and then he's got the the uh, female you know sort of assassin yeah, uh, yeah. 
uh, who that's like Friday, and it's right from that time period too. It's right around the time period when he wrote Friday, which is you know about a female assassin and uh, old guys. Right. <laughs> <laughs> uh, very Heinlein like story, and you know obviously this is a man who has been highly influenced by Heinlein. He talks about him in all his books, basically. Yeah, yeah, and. You know, there is, yeah, I think it's just a great story. Mm-hmm. I agree with your review. <laughs> <laughs> nice, nice. So uh, there there are other new releases out there. I haven't mm-hmm. posted this yet, but um, we've got some emails uh, from different authors and uh, different things. I, I, I uh, Was it you who prompted me about the Jack Vance stuff that's coming out? Somebody emailed me and said, hey, check no. all this Jack Vance. Oh, it was probably... Um, Rick from Wonder Audio. Oh, okay. Um, he he has a new Jack Vance uh, audiobook. No, ebook out. I think maybe it's an audio. Oh, okay. Yeah. Um, and I think he posted about that. And then um, oh, you know what? I may have did uh, Jack Vance on Audible. Yeah, there's a ton of Jack Vance on Audible all of a sudden. Uh, so Songs yeah, of Dying is, Earth is, is so one good. of the. Um, uh, this is stories in honor of Jack Vance. Um, mm-hmm. There, that's the Songs of Dying Earth. And then there's another one, so, uh, "Dying the Dying Earth" by Jack Vance. Let's see if yeah, I can and I need to read those. That's um, Jack Vance was an influence on Gene Wolfe. Um, in fact, the the he book of the new of the book of the new sun. Um, I'm pretty sure Gene Wolfe has said that the that was an influence. The, the Dying Earth was an influence on the book of the new sun. Um, and I remember a uh, long time ago, I talked to. Um, uh, David, geez, I can't even remember. David D. Levine hmm. um, about his great short story. Uh, right, right. Uh, that was on. Um, I think it won the Hugo. Yeah, he won the Hugo the year we went. Yep, he was helped uh, by Harlan Ellison. Yeah, yeah that's right. <laughs> um, but it, he also, yeah, he was highly praised by Harlan Ellison too. Yes, I he think. was. Yeah. Um, and it's a great story, and it, it, I, I think I asked him by email or in an interview, um, you know, was this story inspired by uh, Jack Vance's uh, The Moon Moth? And he, he said, yeah, it may have been. I, I remember really liking The Moon Moth. So mm-hmm. uh, there's a there's another, a great short, a short story. That That's a great short story. Uh, the Dying Earth is out. Um, came out January 2010 uh, from Brilliance. Um, as Songs of Dying Earth came out uh, November 2009, also from Brilliance. And then we've got a bunch of Audible, Audible Frontiers. Um, uh, the Lioness series, there's uh, three books. Mm-hmm. Uh, Saldron's Garden, uh, The Green Pearl, and Maduk, M-A-D-O-U-C. Mm-hmm. That sounds Maduk. Um, and then we've got... What else have we got? Do so you got any of his uh, short ones, like the novellas, like The Last Castle? I'd like, I'd like that one. It may be, it may be coming. Um, mm-hmm. I'm not 100% sure. This is just what I've started gathering, but I'm pretty sure uh, uh, I'll, be, I'll be on this case because I'm really interested in Jack Vance. Great. Uh, so another one that we've got uh, in the recent releases, uh, I think this is from a very small press. It's called Swimming Need for Magic, and it's uh, by an author named jo- Joseph Spope. Did you say Swimming Kangaroo Books? Swimming Kangaroo Books, yes. Okay. Cool. Um, came out December 2009. And then I, I've noticed just uh, j- 
just coming down the road uh, from BBC Audio is a collection called Great Classic Science Fiction, Eight Unabridged Short Stories. And um, they've got stories by H.G. Wells, uh, Stanley G. Weinbaum, Lester Del Rey, Fritz Leiber, uh, James H. Schmitz, Philip K. Dick, uh, Frank Herbert, and Andre Norton. I'm guessing that these are all public domain, mm -hmm. um, because I know at least some of them are. I mean, H.G. Wells is, and uh, the, the Defenders, I'm pretty sure that is as well. Um, so it may be just a, you know, they're testing the waters with uh, releasing some public domain stuff, but... Um, I, I like to see short story releases, especially anthology collections. They tend to be really, really good when you're yeah, mixing up yeah. different authors and saying, you know, check these out. Right. Did you happen to listen to the Julie Julie's post uh, or Julie's podcast? I, I've listened to the introduction, and I am going to listen to uh, the story, but I haven't listened to the story yet. Well, it's it just and started. it looks like episode two downloaded today. Oh really? Okay, yeah. cool. Yep. She's she's into it. You bet. Um, uh, she talked about the Road to Science Fiction series by James Gunn. Right, right. In uh, in her introduction, and um, I've got two of those. You said, do you are you going to send me the other two? Is yeah, I got. I found them on Paperback Swap in their order, so nice. and I also got the uh, notification that they've been mailed. So. Very nice, Very thank nice. you, sir. You're welcome. I hope I hope they're with the beautiful covers instead of the ugly, ugly, horrible covers that yeah. a lot of people been releasing. Good. But uh, the, the only problem with these books is the the paperbacks is they're too thick for my paperback book bags. Uh -huh. Little plastic bags I put my paperbacks in. Gotcha. <laughs> they're so thick they won't fit in. Mm -hmm. But uh, I'm really uh, a big fan of scholarly approaches to SF because. You know, seeing the development and and uh, I, I really enjoyed what I found in in volume three and four, which is uh, Heinlein uh, to the present and then uh, from here to forever. You know, just yeah. later later. Yeah, volume one is called Gilgamesh to uh, whatever. I can't remember what the to Wells. Part. Yeah, Gilgamesh, Gilgamesh to, to Wells. Wells. Okay, and from Wells to Heinlein. Yeah. So Gilgamesh to Wells is like. Uh, uh, 4,000 B.C. to uh, hmm. 1899, sort of, yeah, right? Yeah, 1899 to, I guess, 1948, something like that. Mm -hmm. And then, I guess, book three would be 1948 to uh, uh, probably 1975, something like that. And then uh, the, there's some subsequent ones uh, called The British Way, which is just British science fiction and how that's a bit different from... Uh, what is mostly an American uh, genre, I guess, science mm -hmm. fiction. And then uh, Around the World, which is everywhere else. Uh, stories in translation. Hmm. Which is got to have some interesting stuff in it. Yeah, yeah. Cool, cool. Very nice. Yep. Did you hear that uh, A Game of Thrones got the green light from HBO? I saw you were very excited about that. I'm, oh, I'm, yeah. I'm holding my... I, <laughs> Excitement in reserve, but That's I'm expecting it to, to be get good. some uh, Dish Network hooked up or something. Oh, really? Uh, yeah, we, you know, we, we, as a family, decided not to have that and have been fine with it, except for I can't watch soccer. Mm. But now, Game of Thrones, what am I going to do? Can't you watch it online? Uh, possibly. I don't know. Possibly. Soccer, I mean. Yeah. yeah. I'm sure it's a long way from us being able to see it, you know. Mm. So.
But anyway, uh, they, there was a production still out too on all the sites, and looks good. Yeah, it does look good. Yep. Um, it's going to be uh, interesting. I wonder where they're going to film that. I don't know. They were. It's not going to be Los Angeles. <laughs> yeah, they were in Europe somewhere. Uh, okay. Eastern yeah, so. Europe would be a good place to do it. Yeah. And by the way, that's a really, really good audiobook. Very, very long, but really, really good. Uh, narrated by Roy Dotrice. Incredibly long. Yeah. Yeah, but it's very good. It's good. Yeah. It's good. Yeah. I'm not sure why they did this, but the uh, the first three audiobooks in the series were read by Roy Dotrice, who had the, the right um, kind of a earthy quality to his voice, you know? Uh, yep. And then they switched to John Lee for the fourth one. Um, you know, John Dotrice Lee... Dotrice probably got tired. Yeah, maybe he did. Hold on. <laughs> um... John Lee is a great, great narrator, um, but it puts a whole new tone on the book. Yeah. So, um, you know, which, you know, I would say part of the book is probably toned for John Lee. You know, those audiobooks actually would have been really, really, really cool. Um, not that they're not good, but they are good. But each chapter is from a different character's point of view. And mm -hmm. I don't know if you could possibly maintain it for however long it's going to take him to get the series done. But if you could... Uh, have a different narrator for each point of view and maintain that throughout all of them. That would have been really neat. It would have been interesting. Yeah. Um, it's still possible they could do that in the future. Sure. You bet. If you get really excited about it, I'm sure you could take on the project. Heck yeah. <laughs> but that is, uh, you know, if there was ever a book that was made for that style of narration, that would be those. And I see what you're saying. Yeah. yeah. It's a... Uh, it's a. Uh, I'm holding my reserve on the show because um, it's not a wise idea to, to get too too excited about stuff before it comes out. Mm -hmm. But um, it is HBO, which yeah. means it's going to be good. <laughs> and I, I just love the concept. You know, I don't I don't know why this hasn't happened before, and why it doesn't happen on network television, where if you if you have a novel or something that you want to adapt, you know, sometimes they make a miniseries. You know, like with Shogun. I remember mm -hmm. that one. That was a great uh, they show. Don't, they don't do too many miniseries now. No. But the the idea of taking a novel and making 20 episodes out of that same book, you know, that is a really great idea that I don't know why it doesn't happen very much. Flash forward, dude. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. So, you know, why not? Why not do it that way? You know, you could have a... Uh, well, I guess... Novels, novels do better as uh, miniseries than they do as movies anyways. Yeah. You know, one of the best miniseries I ever saw was The Storm of the Century by Stephen King. Did you ever watch that? I did see it, and I didn't like it. I loved it. I loved it. But that was written as a novel for television. It, it wasn't a novel first, and then... In fact, it's never been a novel. It's just a script. If you buy Storm of the Century, it's a script. Oh, is it? Yep. But um, he wrote it just for TV. I thought it was excellent. That didn't do anything for me. <laughs> and that is one of the, the most... Uh, the closest to the reading experience of Stephen King in any of his movies, I think, is that one. Um, the other one, I would say, is 1408 with John Cusack. I like that. Love I like that, that one. Love that movie, and that was a very uh, very close to a, a, the experience of reading Stephen King. I, it's movie. also a very forgettable movie. I, I enjoyed it, but mm -hmm. I haven't thought about it since I watched it uh, no. until you just mentioned it now. Huh. I thought it was terrific. It was yeah. good. It was good. good. But it's not my pick of the week. No, what's your pick of the week? My pick of the week is Steve the First. 
um, written the first. Yes, I listened to that again uh, some this week. Uh, whenever I have a rough day, pop in a little Steve the first <laughs> makes it makes a bad day better. Uh, um, that sounds vaguely familiar. <laughs> Except I think I think and you know I have a copyright on that phrasing. Oh, do you? Yes. All right. All right. Um, Steve the First is an audio drama that was um, uh, played on CBC Radio, written by Matt Watts. It's about a post-apocalyptic uh, future, and, and Steve the First is the the big damn hero in it. Um, but he it's it's a comedy, so it's it's just so good. Um, you know, I could talk about it for a long time, but um, check it out. It's four episodes it's long. Uh, CWC that C. Yeah, the CBC store. Did I keep saying CWC? CWC is the name of our local video store. Okay. Okay, CBC. <laughs> uh, the CBC store is selling it. Um, yeah. I on, don't think it's yes. on iTunes, but it, it should be soon. And if it is, I will let you know. Um, but go buy it on the CBC store. Very nice. Very nice pick. I'm sure Matt will appreciate that. <laughs> um. Yeah, it's a good it's a good series in Canada. I think uh, if you haven't picked that as a previous uh, pick of the week, that's probably um, a good companion. Yeah, I love that series too. Those are permanently on my iPod. All of the Canadias and all of the wow, you're really into it. I'm glad. I'm, I'm glad you like. I was really into it when it was on. Mm-hmm. I thought, oh God, everybody turn on the radio. It's like, <laughs> and now it's like oh, it. every time. Yeah, I just love uh, listening to those. They're really fun. Mm-hmm. I, think. I like them as much as I like uh, um, Hitchhiker's Guys. Wow! Yeah, seriously, I've got those are permanently on there too. That's uh, that's that's pretty impressive. I mean, it's funny too because they're both uh, radio drama series, right? I guess. Yeah, yeah. Radio comedy, science fiction. Mm-hmm. Nice. Yep. Okay, if you're doing a pick, then I guess I should pick one myself. I better turn on a light here so I can see what I've got in my hand. (laughs) I've got uh, The Chronicles of Solomon Cain. This is a a trade paperback of um, collecting old Marvel uh, adaptations and original stories um, from, uh, I guess, the 1970s. I remember I actually had these in in comic form previously. I may still have them, but I had a number of my comics stolen from me, so I am uh, happy to get this new new collection. And uh, The art uh, is exactly the same, but it looks like it's been recolored, or at least it's been put on some gorgeous paper, so um, it looks really good. Um, right. And uh, it's got uh, writing by Roy Thomas, who I'm a big fan of, I think I may have had this uh, as a pick before. If not, I've talked about it, I'm sure. Uh, he did a uh, adaptation of The Iliad, mm-hmm. which um, uh, I really, really enjoyed uh, as a comic book or a trade paperback collection of comic books. And uh, there's a, an introduction in here by Ralph Macchio, hmm. who is a big, big guy in the Marvel Universe. Oh, writing uh definitely definitely worth checking out um solomon kane is uh it's interesting i'll i'll, I'll read a little uh, clip here from the from the introduction um let's see what it says 
Um, About some of the stories specifically, Red Shadows is the first Kane tale, published in 1928. It predated the first appearances of either Kull or Conan. This volume you're holding also contains a superb adaptation of the same initial Kane story by Roy Thomas and Howard Jakin, which preceded my version by nine years. The main difference between our two versions is that I added a brief fight scene between Kane and Gulka, the gorilla slayer. And then... Uh, <clears throat> Here, so another little bit. I remember being intrigued by several ideas relating to Cain and was itching to try them out. I wondered how he would react to encountering a fellow Puritan who'd lost his faith, especially one who had been Solomon Cain's friend. Would he abandon his old companion in righteous disgust, or would Cain attempt to help him regain his lost faith? From that thought arose issue number two's tale, And Faith Undying. That's the name of the story. Hmm. Penciled so beautifully by Brent. Brett Blevins. And then um, he talks about uh, the next one in the series, I guess. I was also taken by the notion that of what would happen if Cain encountered his opposite, a man deeply devoted to his Muslim faith and Allah, as Solomon was to Christianity, Christianity and Yahweh. What a clash of titans I envisioned that one to be. And mm. that uh, shows up in a story called The Prophet. Um, Solomon Cain's a really interesting character because he he is uh, uh, just a regular man. He's not, I mean, he, he doesn't have any um, superpowers, right? Mm-hmm. But he's he, he is very much in the superhero sort of, um, he's mo- I guess more like the Punisher than any other uh, comic book character in the sense that he, ha- he feels he has a destiny uh, to fight uh, injustice. Um Especially, you know, uh, anything that threatens uh, God's rule over the earth. Um, as a Puritan, he, he, you know, goes out on adventures and fights vampires and evil kidnappers and all sorts of different things. And I, I, I found myself really intrigued by the character in all the, uh, the comic book adaptations I read. And uh, the stories are good, too, but um, I'm especially fond of the comic book versions. This has been the SFF Audio Podcast. Please join us at www.sffaudio.com.